Hello. Hi. My name is Rebecca. I'm Megan. And we're going to do a podcast about cheese. All about cheese. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of history, a little bit of science, and a whole lot about cheese. So welcome to Curds and Why. Curds and Why. I guess we should define what we're doing here today. Why are we recording this podcast? Yeah, why are we recording this podcast? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, I think that I wanted to do this because uh, I've been annoying basically my friends and my family for <laughs> years, I think. Years. It's been years at this point. While I was getting my food science degree, one of the things that I became very interested in sort of as a side project was the history of cheese, or not the history of cheese, the history of food altogether. And I think that cheese is sort of a prime example of a food I wanted to talk about specifically because the history is so long and it's so specific to like each region which developed its cheese. Mm -hmm. Each each unique cheese is uh, basically a combination of historical, political, cultural, and religious factors that went into shaping uh, what the people ate. So um, I think I think it's a great example of a food that has just such a long and rich history. Very creamy, cheesy history. Rich, like <laughs> cheese is rich. Yeah, would you exactly. Say? Yeah, very, uh, very tasty history. Today we're going to be talking about the very first cheeses. The first cheese. And we're going to talk a little bit about the science of cheese. So if you don't know what cheese is, we're going to define it for you in a couple minutes. That's good. Yeah, just basically. And then we're going to try some cheeses that I have selected that are going to kind of touch on the principles of the history and science we're going to talk about today. Sounds great. Okay. So um, let's play a word association game. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to say a word and you're going to say the first word that comes into your mind when okay. I say that word. Okay. All right. Is the first word cheese? Yeah, the first word is cheese. Um, nice. <laughs> Yellow. <laughs> you only wanted one word. Okay, great. Just give me all the words you can think of when you think Holes. of cheese. Macaroni. Uh, cream. Cows. Milk. Dairy. Great. Yummy. <laughs> I don't know. That's it. That's all I can think of. You know, it's interesting is if you ask people to draw a picture of cheese or if you ask Americans to draw it's a picture of cheese. It's that little wedge with the holes in it. Exactly. Everyone draws that. But in fact, that's only, you know, particular to Swiss cheeses. Oh, so that's Swiss cheese. Yeah, or cheeses oh, that, that, have holes in that have holes in it. Most cheeses don't actually have holes Why in it. Why do cheese have holes in them? Oh, we're going to talk about that later. Oh, okay. That's when we get to our discussion on alpine cheeses. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. The the first cheeses did not have holes in them. And actually, most cheeses that you would buy today, unless you're a big connoisseur of Swiss cheeses, are not going to have holes in it. Okay. And uh, as for cheese being yellow, actually, most cheeses are not yellow. Right. Most cheeses are kind of whitish yellow. But that's how you draw them in cartoons, so they have to be that's yellow. That's so true. And as for mice eating cheese, yeah, they probably did. Uh, mice will pretty much eat anything edible. How do we define cheese, though? Like, what, what makes a cheese cheese versus a different product? This is the question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't... Um, I would say that cheese is, like, just milk that's just gone bad. And then... But it ac accidentally tastes good somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's not so it's far milk off. It's gone bad, but it somehow tastes good, so we eat it anyway. Uh, basically, when we talk about what cheese is, we kind of have to talk about what milk is. What's in milk. So oh milk, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get a little sciencey. Okay. Um, so milk is, is primarily water, uh -huh. right? But suspended within the water is some fat. 
uh-huh. and some protein and uh-huh. some sugar. Okay. And what cheese is, is when um, the non-polar, polar refers to something that is aqueous, so water uh-huh. is polar. Okay. Um, non-polar, generally, we're talking about fats. So naturally, when you put something polar and non-polar together, they're going to want to try to mix out. They don't want to be close together. Mm-hmm. What cheese is is basically the non-polar proteins and the non-polar fats separating out from the polar water. Oh, okay. And coagulating. So that's a really, like, basic definition. So milk is, like, dehydrated, <coughs> or cheese is dehydrated milk? No. Dehydrated milk is dehydrated <laughs> milk. Okay, well. Let, let's talk about butter. Okay. So butter is the fat in milk, collected and coagulated, correct? What does coagulated mean? Co- oh, that's a great question. Coagulated means sort of come together. Um, so you know when you like you you cut yourself. So that Beatles song should have just been coagulated right now over me. Okay, so like say you cut yourself and you start bleeding. Yeah, and then eventually like uh, it, you get a scab. You get a scab. So that scab is sort of like coagulated. I'm so blood. glad we're talking about cheese <laughs> and blood. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> so, so butter is basically coagulated or precipitated, which means like it, it comes out of solution. So a solid material that comes out of solution. So if it's butter, then it's going to be just the fat precipitating out of solution. If it's cheese, it's going to be the nonpolar proteins and the nonpolar fat coming together out of solution. Okay. So that's what we, with, um, if we're trying to figure out if a dairy product is cheese or not, Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the line is actually kind of fuzzy. We have to ask ourselves, did a curd, which is going to be that nonpolar protein and fat, separate out from an aqueous phase? Or did it not? So, like, for example, yogurt. Mm-hmm. Is yogurt cheese? No. No. Because um, instead of having that curd formation, we have basically a gel formation because the processing is a little different. Okay. So that's sort of a rough overview of what cheese is. All right, so before we could get cheese, we have to have milk. Right. And where did milk come from? Cows and, and goats and people. Yeah. Is there... Oh, God, there's not human cheese out there, is there? <laughs> not sold commercially. There's That's this, terrible. There's this story that's told of this, um, I think, this chef in New York who made cheese from his wife's breast milk. In what year? I think in the 90s. Oh, God. Yeah. The... the I think the... Uh, some the CDC shut him down. I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you could technically make cheese, Human cheese of any mammal, of the milk of any mammal. Any mammal. I wish everyone could see my horrified face right now. <laughs> the problem, of course, is that not all milk is equally suited for making cheese. So the first cheeses were not made from cows. Goats and sheep were domesticated first in 8,500 B.C., after humans began to domesticate crops, cattle domestication started in 7,000 BC. So this is a long time ago, but they were not actually primarily used for their milk. They were used for their meats and their skins. Mm-hmm. And they started to harvest milk and they fed it to infants, but not adults. They, uh, why? Well, the reason has to do with lactose tolerance and lactose intolerance. Uh-huh. So all babies are born with the ability to just lactose. Lactose is the primary sugar that is found in milk. And there's lactose in human milk. There is lactose in human milk. That is correct. That's why babies need it. Need it. And yeah. can drink milk when humans, as you get older, lose your 
lactose ability. that's that's correct about 65 percent of the world's population today cannot digest lactose oh wow they may have been born with the ability to just digest lactose but as they got older is everyone born with the ability to digest lactose that's a great question uh there are a few babies that are not able to digest lactose can they not drink their mother's breast milk then? no they have to drink formula oh as you age, your lactose, uh, your ability to digest lactose will decrease. Uh-huh. Unless you keep eating it. That's actually not correct. No? That's a myth. Yeah, there is a myth that if you just keep drinking milk, your ability to digest lactose will continue. And uh-huh. it's people who haven't had milk for a while uh-huh. lose the ability. That's that, a myth? That's a myth, yeah. The ability to digest lactose as you grow older has to do with your genetics. So around... 7,000, 10,000 years ago, a mutation in the gene allowed for some populations to have the ability to continue to digest lactose as they became adults. Just genetic? It is just genetic. Um, And actually, you'll find that depending upon where your ancestors came from will have a lot of impact on if your ability to digest milk or not. So can you digest milk? Yeah. Yeah. And that's because your ancestors came from Northern Europe. And also yours. Yeah, we are sisters. We haven't said it before, we're related by being sisters. That's true. So usually you'll find that populations in Northern Europe have the ability to digest lactose, but as you go south and east, you'll find that ability decreasing. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are, of course, some exceptions to that. Right. So why did that mutation occur? Well... Uh, There's a lot of theories out there, not a lot of definite proof in regards to that, but some people think that the ability to digest lactose came because of vitamin D. So vitamin D is is a a vitamin that humans need Mm -hmm. for health, but uh, we get it mostly from the sun. Mm -hmm. So in Northern Europe, it's very cloudy, not a lot of sun, Mm -hmm. and uh, there might be some vitamin D deficiency. Mm. And milk... Mm-hmm. is a great source of vitamin D. I see. Also, it's thought that if populations had the ability to di- digest milk from animals, then they would be less likely to die in times of famine. So it's one of those natural selection type of uh, genetic... I see. Yeah. We don't 100% know why the lactose gene persisted, mm-hmm. but it did. Um, and now approximately a third of the population can now drink milk as an adult. Woohoo! Yeah. If you are lactose intolerant and you're listening to this and you're wondering if you can eat cheese or if you can eat milk, um, you can eat cheese. The great thing about the way we process milk into cheese is that most of the lactose gets removed. It gets washed away with the whey, which is the part that doesn't get turned into cheese. Milk is approximately 5% lactose, but if you remove the fat, that percentage goes up. So whole milk actually has less lactose than skim milk. Whipping cream has about 2.9% lactose, but if you look at cheese, so aged cheeses will have a lot less lactose than Mm. sort of soft and unripened cheeses. Okay. So if you are lactose intolerant and you still really love cheese... But like pizza. Pizza uses mozzarella. Which is a soft cheese. Which is a soft cheese, which is unripened usually. Uh, Okay. So yeah. Um, But if you want to eat cheese and you're lactose intolerant, go for that really aged stuff. So now that we've just defined what cheese is and talked a little bit about what's in milk, let's talk about when the first cheeses were invented. Okay. The story that gets told a lot is the one about the nomadic traveler who puts some cheese 
in a bag mm-hmm. made from the stomach of an animal, yeah. puts it on his camel. That sounds gross. Sets off across the desert, stops to take a drink from the milk, and discovers that the cheese has coagulated into curds. And he eats the curds and it tastes delicious. He eats the curds. Mm-hmm. Okay, because it's solid. Because it's a solid material. The problem, of course, is that it, it assumes that that man who was traveling was lactose tolerant. Mm-hmm. And the evidence is he was probably not lactose because where, tolerant. Because what part of the world was this in? Uh, when was this? Fertile Crescent. The Fertile Crescent! Yes. That reminds me of sixth grade social studies class yeah. where we learned about Mesopotamia. Exactly, yeah. Oh, Mrs. Harris. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was assumed to be the first cheese. And, and there's something in the lining of the the stomach of animals uh-huh. that actually coagulates the cheese. It's got this enzyme. So there's an enzyme in the lining of stomachs that coagulates cheese. But this story is probably not true because the nomadic traveler is probably not lactose tolerant. Mm-hmm. Instead, what was probably the first cheese are acid coagulate cheeses. And those are the ones we're going to be eating today. Acid coagulate cheeses. Acid coagulated cheeses, yes. What does that mean? So instead of adding an enzyme to cheese to coagulate it, you can add acid. Oh, okay. And the acid will... Like uh, what kind of acid? That's a great question. Um, You can add acid from fruit juices. Okay. You can add like acetic acid or tartaric acid from wine. Or citric acid from fruits. Can you make cheese out of wine? You can make cheese out of wine acid. Okay, how do you get the acid from the wine? Uh, You just leave it out until it becomes rancid wine? No. So just basically everything... Well, that's actually how... Everything is made by letting things go bad. I mean, all the uh, bacterial fermentations are made, were traditionally made by making things go bad. I guess that's how wine was found, right? Things just went... I don't know. Well, cheese probably predates wine in terms of what came first. Cheese predates wine? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there, there was a period of time where they had to eat cheese, but they couldn't drink wine with it. That sounds awful. They could drink beer. Uh, I mean, okay, that's okay. So these early cheeses and some examples of cheeses you can buy today that are similar, that are acid um, coagulated cheeses are like ricotta, uh-huh. quark, cream cheese. Quark. Quark. Quark? Quark. Quirk? Q-U-A-R-K. And uh, mascarpone. Mascarpone. Which is an Italian cheese. Okay. Another way you can add acid to cheese is letting a specific type of bacteria called lactic acid bacteria. Is that why you brought acid? I mean, why you brought bacteria with you today? Yeah, I, I bought some bacteria online. <laughs> it's not that funny. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Um, and you can shorten the name of lactic acid bacteria to lab. So if we call lab bacteria, I'm referring to lactic acid oh, bacteria. Lab bacteria. And okay. what lactic acid bacteria do is they uh, get inoculated into your milk and they turn that lactose, that milk sugar, into lactic acid. And they, they make the pH become more acidic. Okay. Um, but these bacteria prefer sort of warm temperatures. So not room temperature, about... 70 degrees Celsius, approximately. So uh, what would happen is early humans, once they developed the bowl, once they developed the bowl, they had a bowl. They they first had to create the concept of a bowl. They had to create the concept of a ceramic bowl. A ceramic bowl? Yeah, because you can't just heat like a bowl made out of grass. Or wood. Exactly. That would be called burning it. Okay, so once they so we've now got a bowl. We got a bowl. We got a bowl. We put the milk inside the bowl. It's like a great achievement in human history at this oh point. Oh my god, it is. We have a bowl. It's really important. Okay. 
Um, then they put the bowl over like a fire or someplace warm. Uh-huh. They let it get to 70 degrees and then they let it basically... Because they had a thermometer. Well! Okay, they let it get to 70 degrees. And uh, they the bacteria flourish and they drop the pH. And then when the pH gets to a certain number, the coagulation occurs. Okay. And you get the separation of the curds and the whey. So let's talk about the proteins that are found in milk. Okay. We have basically two classes of proteins. Uh-huh. We have the whey proteins. Uh-huh. Which are lost in the way. They are... They're just so lost. They're just so lost. In the way, they're lost. They're non-polar. They're way out there. <laughs> and uh, you know when bodybuilders have those big scoops of protein yeah. powder? Yeah. They're eating whey powder. They're just eating whey? So uh. they could just be eating cheese? Yeah. I mean, cheese has a lot more fat in it. Well, fat's good for... I guess that's not a health good fat. Anyway, continue. <laughs> So there's whey proteins, uh-huh. which we really don't care about that much, unless we're making whey ricotta, okay. which we can talk about later. Um, but the proteins we really care about are called casein proteins. Casein. These casein polar pro- uh, proteins are nonpolar, and they hold within them two minerals of very important, calcium okay. and phosphate. Okay. And the reason they're important is because the little baby calf... Uh, drinking the milk really needs those uh, minerals at levels higher than would be allowed if it was just free floating in the, the milk matrix. The milk matrix? The milk matrix, yes. The milk solution. Matrix three, the milk matrix? <laughs> Neo <laughs> drinks a lot of milk and discovers the secret of cheese. <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch that more than I would watch the real matrix movies. Well, of course you would. <laughs> so um, these polar compounds. Nonpolar compounds have a polar surface because one of the caseins called kappa casein, kappa casein, mm-hmm, um, kind of protrudes out. You know, so I, th- I pledged kappa delta myself. <laughs> well, there's there's alpha beta kappa casein. <laughs> so these these little nonpolar balls are uh-huh. floating around, covered with these polar kappa caseins uh-huh. that sort of extrude out. So think of a ball with like hairy hairy bits floating around outside of it that are nonpolar. Also a great visualization when I'm th- thinking about eating cheese. <laughs> Hairy bits floating around. Got it. Okay. I mean, they're not actual hair. Oh, I know. Which is collagen. The These casein molecules hold on to the, the calcium ions and the phosphate ions. And what happens when you add acid is basically you disrupt the um, the nonpolar, the polar bits, the hairy bits that are floating around, and they sort of just fall apart. And they release the calcium and the phosphate, and they become very nonpolar, and they start to float up. Okay. And what happens is the fat, which is 10 times larger than the casein, gets trapped in. So think of this interlocking web of caseins in which inside are these big fat globules trapping it in. It's like a net just pulling it up to the top. And then you get the curds floating on the top. You can make cheese, as we said earlier, from any mammal. You Mm -hmm. can make it. But most commonly what you're going to find is it's made from cow's milk. Why is that? Well, cow's... Produce the most milk. Oh, because they're big. Yeah. Are they the... They're not the largest mammal. Whales are the largest mammal. Are whales mammals? Yeah. Whales are mammals. Sorry. How would you milk a whale? I don't know, but it would be really not fun, I think. Yeah, um, but most, most cheeses you'll buy on the market are either made from cows, goats, sheeps, or sometimes water buffalo. Italian mo- uh, mozzarella is mainly made from water buffalo. Right. But you will find some unusual cheeses. There's, I think, a cheese made out of moose milk. Okay. It's one of the most expensive cheeses you could possibly buy. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make cheese out of reindeer milk. 
And I don't think that there's any more that are commercially sold. As, as we alluded to earlier, human milk is not Ugh. really a thing. Even, would... even the guy who made the human milk in, or human cheese uh, in New York cut it with cow's milk so it would coagulate. Oh, okay. So we add acid. We start to get that network of caseins forming. The fat gets trapped inside and we get the release of the calcium and the phosphate. The curd that is formed from acid coagulation is going to be really loose. It's going to be a lot looser than what we get when we do rennet coagulation, which we're not going to talk about this week, but we will talk about in future weeks. Um, without that colloidal calcium phosphate holding the matrix together, you're going to get a really loose curd. Why don't you want to have a loose curd? It's just really fragile and it'll fall apart really easily. It's not as stable. What do you mean it'll fall apart? When you cut it, when you agitate it in any way, it'll it'll it fragment like into bits. It'll crumble into oh, bits okay. which, and it'll get lost in the way, it'll dissolve in the way. So does like feta cheese and like the crumbly kind of cheese, is that a looser or is that just, that's completely different? That's completely different. So feta cheese is what we're going to talk about next week when we talk about brined cheeses. Uh, it's very similar to what we're going to taste pretty soon. Okay. But feta cheese is crumbled. Um, it's not actually sold crumbled. If you ever buy a feta cheese, you'll notice oh, it's, it's in a block, block covered right. in brine. Right. You can crumble it. Okay. All right. I think that it is time to eat some cheeses. Okay. So the very first cheese we're going to eat today, mascarpone. Belgioioso. Belgioioso. Gioioso? <laughs> I think that's what it says. Delicious spreadable cheese. Mini barscapone. Fresh and creamy. Half the calories of butter. So it looks... Um, I'm going to describe this to you if you don't know what marscapone is. It basically looks like butter. It feels like butter. It doesn't smell like anything. <laughs> it doesn't smell like anything? I just... All I smell is bread. Okay. Oh, you want to smell it without the bread? Oh, sure. It doesn't smell like anything. It smells maybe like cream a little bit? Yeah. Okay, I'll eat it now. So the way that mascarpone is made is warm cream is coagulated and by an acid addition. So there are no starter cultures added at all to the making of mascarpone. I almost wouldn't even think of this as cheese. A lot of people don't, actually. Because it's not, it's, it tastes, it's basically butter. Well, you want to try butter to compare it? I mean, I know what butter tastes like. Well, for reference, Becky just handed me a spoonful of butter. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. You're supposed to eat it. Just like by itself? Yeah, compare the two. Who am I? Okay, fine. You're doing a podcast about cheese. You left your dignity at the door. Okay, I like butter better. It's like a less good butter. That's why it's half the calories of butter. <laughs> so what the label says, this company, it's crafted in Wisconsin from pasteurized milk and cream and citric acid. So you use citric acid to formulate it. I think that the butter has higher fat mm. than the mascarpone would. Hence the calories. Mascarpone is traditionally used in like uh, Italian cream cheeses mm. or tiramisu, or it's used to thicken sauces. It originated in the Lombardy region of Italy. So did it have any flavor to you? No. No? It Was like it anything. a little bit acidic at all? No. Did it taste kind of like milk? Oh, here's the cream. Yeah. Yeah. Like really, really thick cream. So it's an unaged cheese, so it won't have a lot of flavor compounds. It really didn't taste like anything. I did not like it. Would not recommend. <laughs> Zero out of ten stars. Oh, no. 
Okay. Sorry to everyone that likes marscapone. Let's also talk about cream cheese. Okay. So cream cheese is similar to marscapone. It's made from homogenized milk, um, and it is acid coagulated, so it doesn't have any bacteria in it either. But the difference between the marscapone and the cream cheese is that it is stirred. It's stirred, Mm -hmm. not shaken. Well, I don't think the marscapone is shaken. (laughs) That was a James Bond reference. Never mind. Moving on. I think it's cut differently. What do you mean by cut? Um, Well, you, you break the curd. You can cut the curd with knives. You can scoop the curd out with, like, a ladle that has um, holes in it, or you can agitate it by stirring it. And cream cheese is stirred. So this cream cheese is, like, commercial cream cheese you would put on your bagel. Do you want it on bread? Or do you just want it at a spoon? No, I don't want to eat it off of... Put it on, put it on a carbohydrate for me, please. Okay. Thank you. That's a lot. Oh, God. Okay. This is just cream cheese. Yeah. Yeah, this is just cream cheese. What's the flavor of it? Mm, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Salty. Is that a flavor? Yeah, it's a taste. Um, I guess it's acidic. Right. Um, so this cream cheese has, is the ingredients list, pasteurized milk and cream, whey, cheese culture. So it is cultured. Lactic acid bacteria does acidify it a little bit. Salt stabilizers, and the stabilizers used in this instance are carabine, or xanthan gum, and sorbic acid, which is a preservative. This definitely has more of a flavor than the marscapone. Mm-hmm. Marscapone was like butter, but less so, right? It was like butter's lesser known twin yeah. that didn't perform as well in high school. <laughs> Alright, so now we're going to try some ricotta cheese. Okay. Um, I have two ricottas, both from the same company, Bellwater Farms, which is a company up in Sonoma, California, so not too far from here. And I have two of their products. I have their 100% local whole Jersey cow milk, and I have their sheep's milk ricotta. So um, you're going to try both the sheep's milk ricotta and the, the uh, cow's milk ricotta, and I want you to tell me if there's any difference Ooh, in the can taste. I guess which one it is? Yeah, I'll get you. Oh, I'm closing my eyes. Here's your first cheese. <laughs> I just accidentally stuck my nose in it. Um, okay. So the first one was like sort of crumbly, kind of looks like, well actually looks like more more what I would normally think of with ricotta. Like crumbly, almost like feta, but you know, white. The second one she handed me is like yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a clue to which one it is. And tastes different. I mean, just from like pure... Like, I've seen ricotta cheese before. I would say that this one is the cow and this one is the sheep. You are wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, the first one you had with the sheep's milk cheese and the second one was the cow milk's cheese. And the reason why is you see how that first one is really white? Yeah. And the second one is really yellow? Yeah. Cows have the ability to pass on this compound called beta carotene, which they get from their diet. Mm-hmm. And it causes the yellowish color in cheeses. Sheep do not do that. Oh. Then how come most ricotta that I buy from the supermarket is, like, white like this? That is a great question. Most ricotta that you buy from the supermarket that's not made from uh, Bellwater Farms... (laughs) I'm sorry, Bellwether Farms. Bellwether Farms is actually made from whey. So we were talking about earlier how there's the curds, Mm -hmm. the coagulated part, and the whey, which is drained off. Mm -hmm. You can actually use that whey and turn it into another cheese. 
and the cheese you turn it into is ricotta whey. So most of the time when you go to the supermarket and you buy something in sort of the standard cheese aisle, you know how there's two aisles in your supermarket? Mm -hmm. There's There's the the fancy cheese and there's like, this is the normal ass cheese for normal ass people. Exactly. The normal ricotta you would normally buy at the store is going to be made from whey most of the time. This is premium cheese that I bought from the premium aisle. Ooh. And so let's look at the ingredients. That's what they say about their cheeses. So the, the sheep's cheese is made with 100% natural sheep's milk. It's a blend of whey and milk, so it's not just whey. It's heated until it reaches just the right temperature, at which point the curds begin to form. So these are actually cultured with lactic acid bacteria. So these cheeses are made by lactic acid bacteria, heating it to the right temperature that that bacteria likes and watching the curds form. So they don't add any acid to it. Once the curds are formed, they hand fill these small baskets. So you see how this is packaged with yeah. this liquid draining? Yeah. That's the whey draining off. Oh. So this no company... No way. No way. Um, I mean, there is whey. It's, there's plenty of it. This company is pretty cool because the baskets they use to drain the whey is what they package it in. Oh. Because they don't want to disrupt the curds. These are such delicate curds that too much agitation, moving it from its draining package to a new package to sell is going to to change the texture of the product. Do you see how delicate that texture was? Mm -hmm. It's very delicate. Yes. The cow's milk cheese is made from Jersey cows. So it's specifically one type of cow Mm -hmm. on their farm. Oh, on their neighbor's farm. On their neighbor's farm? Yeah. They just stole the cow? No! (laughs) So these cows... They tell you what the cows eat on this packaging. Oh, what yeah. do they eat? They eat um, silage made from rye, clover, and natural grasses. Silage? Silage. There's so many words that I'm learning today. I think silage, and I'm not 100% certain on the definition of this, but it's sort of like byproducts found growing on the farm. The cows provide the freshest, richest, and most delicious milk you can imagine. They culture the whole milk in small batches and allow the correct acidity to develop naturally over many hours. So this is bacteria creating the acidity before the final heating. Once the batch has formed perfect curds, they dip by hand into small baskets to drain, disturbing them as little as possible to maintain the moist and tender body. (laughs) (laughs) Moist and tender body. Becky, we said this is going to be a (laughs) family-friendly podcast. (laughs) Uh, This gives the ricotta delicate texture and incredible flavor. So if you want to listen at home and try these cheeses, I would suggest buying the Bellwether Farm Basket Ricotta, the sheep and the and the cows, and see if your friends and family can tell the difference between the two. I couldn't. Yeah, Megan couldn't. What do all these cheeses have in common? Well, all these cheeses have in common is that they are not coagulated with rennet. They are all coag- coagulated with acid. Okay. So for the Marscapone, it's coagulated with an acid being added. Mm-hmm. Tartaric or citric or ascorbic. Mm-hmm. For the ricotta, this whole milk cheese is made from acid coagulation. From the bacteria growing in. And the cream cheese. And the cream cheese is made from the bacteria as well. So let's, now that we've talked a little bit, the flavor of these type of um, acid cheeses is mostly going to be from acid in the cheeses. Mm. It's going to be the lactic acid, the citric acid, and also the proteins and lipids that are just normally found in milk. You'll find that these type of cheeses are very milky in their flavor. They're pretty milky. With a little bit of acid added. I don't really like them as much as other cheeses. Like, of all the cheeses, I mean, they're all right. These cheeses are going to be about 2 to 3% lactose. So if you are lactose intolerant, probably steer away from these cheeses. The cheeses that developed after this, we're going to talk for the rest of the podcast 
about rennet coagulated cheeses, which is where the enzyme from the calf's stomach is added and they get coagulated differently. Those developed a lot later than the acid coagulated cheeses. What probably happened was not that that nomadic traveler accidentally discovered it, but that they, and this is a warning for you, your animal rights people out here, you're not going to like this next bit. Oh no. Um, is that they, they killed the baby calves or, or kids, slid open their stomach and saw that the milk from their last meal had started to coagulate because that enzyme naturally found in those stomachs, which they need to digest their food. Ooh. Don't worry, people who like cheese and also baby goats. We don't make it that way in the United States anymore. <laughs> you can also get milk coagulants that are similar to rennet from figs and thistles, but it produces a slightly different flavor. One of the first places in literature where rennet coagulated cheeses are is, and this is going to be surprising, the Odyssey. Homer's The Odyssey. The Odyssey? Yeah. Do you remember the part in The Odyssey where Odysseus goes to the Cyclops island and mm-hmm. it's, he's like a, he's, there's a lot of sheep and Odysseus goes onto the island to try to figure out what's going on and he sees this like giant Cyclops um, who like traps all of his men. That Cyclops, he was a cheese maker. He was a cheese maker. Yeah, and there were cheeses in that story that had to have been made with rennet. I can tell you, here's a fun fact about cream cheese. Okay. <laughs> so, you know the Philadelphia Cream Cheese Company? Yes. Not started in Philadelphia. Why are they called Philadelphia cream cheese? That's a great question. It was started in New York, and at that time, Philadelphia was associated with cleanliness. Oh. Yeah. So they just called it Philadelphia? Yeah, because they thought consumers would be more likely to buy it. Wow. Here's another fun fact. Okay. Um, Can you guess which state in the United States produces, has the most dairy cows? Texas. California. California. And can you guess which state in the United States has the most dairy farms? It's not the same. Texas. Wisconsin. Just, what? I don't think Texas. <laughs> They've got a lot of land out there. Who knows what they're doing? Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about ancient Greece and cheese, as well as brined cheeses. You better feta be ready. You feta be ready. <laughs> listening to our podcast you can find us on twitter at curds and why or you can email us at curds and why at gmail.com this episode was co-hosted and researched by rebecca johnson food scientist phd candidate and was edited by me megan johnson her sister special thanks to stephanie and russ our parents who let us record this episode in their house see you next week